The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Vladimir Putin in a big speech today accused Ukraine and the West of starting the war almost exactly one year ago. Moscow only intervened to try and stop it. So he said the Russian president made these accusations during his State of the Union address, laying out his plans for the next 12 months. In the speech, he said Ukraine was made anti-Russian long ago. The responsibility for starting the conflict for growing number of victims lies totally with the West and with Kiev regime. This regime is not serving their national interests, they're serving interests of foreign powers. Yeah, that was uh, Vladimir Putin uh, through an interpreter speaking in a State of the Union address a little bit later uh, today, only in the last 90 minutes or so. The US President Joe Biden uh, gave a speech in Poland. He says the democratic world has stood up to Moscow and NATO is more united than ever. President Putin's craven lust for land and power will fail and the Ukrainian people's love for their country will prevail. Democracies of the world will stand guard over freedom today, tomorrow and forever. Yeah, that was Joe Biden speaking in the last 90 minutes or so in uh, Poland. He is there uh, to meet his NATO allies and discuss uh, what next in terms of support for uh, President Zelensky and Ukraine. But Bill Browder is with me now. I'm delighted to say Bill is the CEO and co-founder of the investment fund Hermitage Capital Management. He is a man once described by Vladimir Putin as Russia's most wanted man. Bill, you are welcome to the show. I mean, was there anything to be learned from Putin's State of the Union address today? Well, first of all, you can, you can never learn anything from him because he lies at every turn. And so every every word that comes out of his mouth is an untruth. Um, I think that that, that the, um, the purpose of this State of the Union is, is just to try to justify himself to his people. Now, remember, Russia started this war. Nobody else started this war other than Russia. They invaded Ukraine. Um, they've been pulverized. Putin has lost 140,000 soldiers, which is li- literally 10 times the number of soldiers lost in Afghanistan over a 10-year period. He lost them in one year. Half their tanks have been destroyed. It's been a total humiliation. He invaded, and now he's got to change the narrative to try to justify himself to his people and and to try to make it out that actually he's on the defensive and it's some kind of world war with the West and with America and with NATO. It's it's really pretty pretty annoying and pretty shocking to hear him sort of twist the facts in such a way. But he has to do it. He has no other choice. And to what extent uh, do his own people believe him? You know, it's interesting because um, they kind of do. It's it's not like people are sort of um, analyzing what he's saying. It's it's more of a tribal thing where people are saying, "Well, it's us versus them." You know. Um, I don't even know who started it or whatever, but, you know, Vladimir Putin is our guy, it's our country, and we root for the home team. And that's kind of how it's going. And so, you know, I, I have I have a few Russian friends who are dissidents, who are opposition people, and, and either they're in exile or they're in jail in Russia. And the rest of the people are just sort of, you know, sort of lapping up what he's feeding. And, and um, it kind of doesn't matter. He can say anything. It's kind of 
it's bizarre, but that, that's that's how it's playing out right now. Well, what about people with power in in Russia? People of influence, the elites, the people around Vladimir Putin. There have been suggestions, maybe uh, you know, what, what, when it became obvious that the push for Kiev wasn't going to pan out. Uh, late last spring, early summer, the way Vladimir Putin wanted, there were some suggestions that, you know, there could even be a power grab in Moscow. Now, all talk of that seems to have receded. Uh, is there any threat to his leadership? I don't really think so. I mean, he, the one thing, he, he's very bad at most things. He's terrible at running an economy. He's terrible at running a military. He's, uh, you know, terrible at telling the truth. But the one thing he's really good at is keeping himself alive, looking for uh, betrayal and dissent among his ranks. And he he anybody who even looks at him askance ends up you know in bad a bad place either fired or in jail or or even worse and so he's kind of i i think um completely gutted his apparatus his administration of anybody who might betray him and, and remember he was like sitting at a desk you know 20 feet long cuz he's so afraid and so he's pretty good at staying alive i don't think anyone is going to successfully overthrow him. I don't think anyone will even venture into a plot to do that. And it's never worked out historically uh, for people to do that. And so I don't think that that's really a risk, certainly not from the oligarchs, not from his own administration. I think the only way that that he gets thrown out is if the whole situation goes out of control. If, if for example, the Ukrainians successfully were to push the Russian military out of Ukraine, and, and when I say out of Ukraine, I mean also out of Crimea, if that were to happen, the Russian people may say, well, wait a second, I thought we were the tough guys and we're weak, we're, we're losers, and you're weak and you're a loser, Vladimir Putin. And in that circumstance, they may say, well, why did we go into such hardship and, and uh, make such sacrifices for a loser? And that may be the, the scenario where, you know, uh, 100,000, 500,000 people march on Red Square and, and he panics and flees the country. But you know, next to that, I, I don't think that there's going to be any power grab among his mm -hmm. elite, among the wealthy, among the generals. I don't think there's any chance of that. So if the danger, the jeopardy for Putin is, is defeat and the consequences of defeat, what's the danger for the West? Is it, is it fragmentation of support? Is it Ukraine fatigue? Yeah, I think that that so Putin doesn't care. He he he, uh, he doesn't care about how many troops he loses. He doesn't care about even how much money he's spending. Um, he could just carry on doing that for a, a quite a long time. He's selling a lot of oil and gas. He uses that to finance the war. He's, there's 141 million people live in the country. He can lose another half a million, million, two million soldiers in the meat grinder in Ukraine, and that doesn't make him feel any worse on a given day. And while he's doing that, you know, we, we're all like human beings. We're all people who, you know, get tired and distracted. And, and so he's hoping that, that, you know, if the, he, if, if time goes on and, you know, we get tired of this thing, we get, we we start moaning about <clears throat> high prices of this or high prices of that and, and, and so on and so forth. He's hoping that, you know, in democratic countries that, you know, we, we change our governments and the new government comes in and the government that comes in is more sympathetic to Putin and maybe less sympathetic to Ukraine. And he's hoping that somehow our current uh, alignment with everybody else, with our arms all locked together, get unlocked and we, we start to, you know, look in different directions. That's his, that's his way out. You know, and the, and the ultimate way out is, is in, in November of 2024 in the U.S. If, if, for example, Donald Trump were elected president, um, 
then he gets a free pass from then on. And if America stops supporting Ukraine, Ukraine loses. Yeah, there are voices, of course, on the uh, the right and the Republican Party who are expressing this, you know, fatigue with uh, Ukraine and a focus. They want more on uh, the US's own borders rather than the borders of a country halfway around the world. I mean, there is an expectation, is there, that this will become a political issue? Uh, I mean, a, a campaigning issue in the next election? Well, this very narrow fringe of the Republican Party is certainly trying to make it an issue, but um, and and it's possible that it, that it could be an issue. But but I also know that there's a lot of Republicans who were at the Munich Security Conference um, last weekend, Lindsey Graham and and others, who uh, Mitch McConnell, who's the Speaker of the House, I mean, Speaker of the Senate, um, who um, who is absolutely on side with Ukraine, who's like you know who understands the the implications. I mean, for any reasonable person. In the United States, this is the best deal that America could ever get. Um, R- Russia is a huge, you know, the second most important adversary to America. America can spend five percent of their military budget um, to totally destroy an adversary and not lose a single American soldier. It's kind of a good deal. And so, any any uh, you know reasonable politician who's not sort of you know in some kind of cloud cuckoo land um, understands that and and. Um, would carry on with that, whether it's Democrat or Republican. But you get these nuts cases in the very far right, Tucker Carlson, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, these are big names in America, who are not very big politicians, but just sort of taking extreme positions. And they're saying, yeah, we want to focus on the Mexican border. Well, you know, you can focus on the Mexican border. You can also focus on Ukraine and you can also focus on health care and social security and a lot of things. That's what a government mm. does to, to somehow say one is mutually exclusive with the other is just nonsense. And and the talking points sound like they come directly from the Kremlin. Yeah. But, you know, we have seen, though, that, you know, the, the tail can end up wagging the dog and, and those extreme voices in the right. They can they can have a profound impact on the direction of the wider party. They, they can absolutely but at the same time, you have you have real professionals in the military and in all these different um, you know places. When you know, it, so let's say a uh, a Republican president came in, um, would they want to have? Uh, uh, I mean, the the, the 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 alternative, if if let's say America stopped supporting Ukraine and Russia won, the next thing that happens is Russia is attacking Estonia or Poland. And then, the, then America has a treaty obligation, a NATO treaty obligation to go to war with Russia, which would be a thousand times more expensive and more horrible than providing some military aid to Ukraine. And that has to be the, 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 responsible, the responsible thing to do is, is to do this low-cost exercise to avoid a, a catastrophically high-cost exercise. Bill, it's been really interesting talking to you, as always. Bill Browder is the CEO and co-founder of the investment fund Hermitage Capital Management. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from 4 on News Talk.